but it's a curiosity as to where we are, what we are. The existence, the physical universe, is basically playful. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast. I'm your host, Johnny Miller. Hello, Curious Humans. Matt Maruka is the founder of Ra Optics, who make, I think it's fair to say, objectively the world's best blue blocking glasses. But more importantly, he's in my view a radical citizen scientist, self-experimenter and articulate communicator. What's more, he's only 24 years old, which, given his depth of knowledge and wisdom, is kind of mind-blowing for someone his age. And this conversation didn't go the way that I'd actually expected. I'd been reading journal papers and studies on photobiology and mitochondrial health and how to optimize our light environment, but pretty quickly it became clear that this wasn't the direction the conversation wanted to go. And I think a former version of me would have wanted to stick to the script, but instead we veered off into a fascinating tangent into Matt's explorations around spirituality and what he describes as surrendering to life. In this conversation, you can expect to learn about the effects of repressing anger on depression and mental health, the benefits of light therapy and being in tune with your circadian rhythm, the important distinction between vitalistic and mechanistic perspectives for personal growth, why Matt believes that humans are beings of energy and electromagnetism, and the power of surrendering to life, or how he stopped acting like he was a victim. Okay. I hope you enjoy this really phenomenal conversation with the wise and knowledgeable Matt Maruka. I made the decision to work with sponsors for this podcast, and there are two main reasons for this. The first is that it helps me dedicate more time and resources to having deep dive conversations like this one and hopefully growing the show. And the second is that there are a few companies that have honestly made a big difference in my life. And since I consider them to be just such a huge value add, I'm genuinely excited to talk about what they offer, and I hope they'll be useful to you as well. First up is Inside Tracker. One of the things that I've changed my mind on in the past year or so is the value of getting blood panels taken on a regular basis, ideally every six months, according to Dr. Peter Atia. This is opposed to waiting until you have an actual health issue. Inside Tracker tests your blood, your DNA, and they basically provide clear science-backed recommendations around nutrition, exercise, supplements, and lifestyle recommendations. They've also recently added hormone testing alongside a bunch of other really important biomarkers that aren't typically included in traditional blood panels, and APOB is a good example. And for myself, despite generally feeling pretty great, my most recent set of results show that I have some pretty major work to do to reduce levels of inflammation. So I'll be following some of their dietary and supplement recommendations to hopefully address this. So I really recommend making this something that you make time for at least once or twice per year. And you can save 20% at insidetracker.com forward slash curious humans. That's insidetracker.com forward slash curious humans. Next up, we have The Plunge. I reached out to the founder of The Plunge, Ryan, after hearing his personal story on Danny Miranda's podcast. And I've shared many times how getting in icy cold water every day helps me to move through some pretty intense grief in the past. And 
it taught me what it meant to surrender. And these days, I use their plunge pretty much every single day. It's, it's basically like a high-stakes meditation or a, a mirror to my own internal state. And the plunge team have done a phenomenal job architecting what I really consider to be the best cold plunge in the world. And it doesn't get grimy, unlike the, the converted chest freezers that I used to use. And for optimal health benefits, I recommend doing this deliberate cold exposure for about 11 minutes per week in total. And if you're interested, you can save $150 on their full unit at plunge.com forward slash curious. That's plunge.com forward slash curious. Welcome to the Curious Humans podcast, Matt. Thank you so much for having me, Johnny. How are you today? I'm good. How are you feeling in three words? Grateful for life. Mm, beautiful. I can hear the, the sound of the birds in the background. I imagine that contributes. <laughs> yeah. The first three words that came into my head were tired of traveling, but I was like, no, I'm not. <laughs> that yeah. is not I, I really believe we get to choose how we feel. And just because you think something doesn't mean yeah. it's true. Because I think a lot of the time we think uh -huh. that the first thing we think, of course, there's the argument for our intuition. But um, I just obviously got through telling you how I've been on the road quite a bit lately. But um, just because we think something doesn't mean it's true. And I think that's a really valuable insight for people to know. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I remember being on a meditation retreat once and the leader said the words, don't believe everything you think. And at the time that was just like, a, it was like a breakthrough for me. <laughs> it was like, wait, yeah. what? You get to choose if you listen to the voice in your head. Of course, absolutely. Well, I like to begin these conversations by asking uh, this question. Were you exceptionally curious as a child? And if so, could you tell me a story about something that you were curious about? Well, that's a great question. Well, yes, I would say I was definitely exceptionally curious. And the first story that comes to my mind really is the story that got me into the world of health and wellness because I basically had some you know, relatively minor to some to in one perspective, but at the same time, pretty intense challenges with my own health and wellness, gut issues, allergies, headaches, and uh, that were pretty persistent. And I actually started to look into my own health and wellness, though, when I began getting these uh, acne breakouts as a kid. So like, I sort of accepted that these other issues were genetic, as much as I was curious about other mm -hmm. things. I kind of trusted the medical paradigm, but when I started having uh, really bad, uh, you know, skin breakouts, I guess you could call it just sort of normal during puberty, but I was like, no, I don't want this. I started reading on the internet about diets, about nutrition, about supplementation, about all these types of things and uh, hats going on. And basically it, it led me down this rabbit hole of, of health, of supplements, of nutrition, and eventually it led me to light, which is where I've come to, you know, in a large part of why we're speaking to having a, a company making products based on light and light therapy. And I think that curiosity continues today because even when I got into the world of, uh, when I went from the food focus to the focus on light, and I had this understanding that there's deeper layers to health and wellness than just the food we consume in the same way that if you, for example, you have an automobile or a car and the engine's not working properly, 
well, you wouldn't just try to fix the gasoline. You would actually go and look at the engine. Well, in our bodies, mm-hmm. it's very similar, as you know. You know, there's mm-hmm. there's the food, the food and the fuel we take in. But then I learned as I was researching more and more that everybody's focusing on the fuel and the fuel additives, which is the equivalent of food and supplements in our body. But nobody is looking at the engines. But the research became very clear in the last decade or so that the real dysfunction that's happening in our in our disease in our bodies when people have disease is that the cellular engines, the mitochondria, actually aren't working as they're designed to. And that's a really, really significant breakthrough because it basically means that we're not just a product of our genes, but actually our health and wellness is a product of our environment and different influences and even choices we make and other factors and not just, again, the genes we inherit from our parents. And it means that our environment can have a negative influence, but we can also have a really positive influence with the correct decisions. But to wrap the story up, even after I imply, applied all of this information about light and mitochondria and electromagnetic fields and clean water and all these other environmental factors that were indicated based on this research, I still had this curiosity and still do of like, well, is there more? You know, there was a period in my life where I felt mm-hmm. really physically my my condition had improved tremendously from when I was a younger kid with these various health complications but mentally and even spiritually, I still felt a certain level of like emptiness, truly emptiness and and even mm. sometimes like misery and just feeling d- uh, depressed or sad or something like this. And I asked myself, well, I'm doing all of this stuff for my brain chemistry and my neurotransmitters and my hormones from a circadian rhythm perspective. And I based on everything I'd researched and really good evidence, really good research, all the stuff I was doing should have been optimizing my neurotransmitters and state. And in fact, even based on some tests I did around the time, everything was looking pretty good on a biological level. But somehow there was something deeper, like my psychological state, which was uh, very much turbulent, let's say. And around the time of the pandemic, this curiosity sort of sprung out again. And it was always there, but sometimes when you, when as you know, when we when we get into survival and stress, there's not as much energy to open up to this curiosity, and that's something I I sort of battle with every day. You know, the expansion into curiosity mm. and research and learning versus all the obligations with my business. But so anyway, uh, I started realizing if my model were complete, my understanding that I've learned, if my model were complete then I should be happy the way I want to be happy. Like if I really understood life the way that I thought I did from all the research and this, the people I was following who claimed to have it all figured out, then, then I should be able to create this state of happiness, joy that I was looking for truly. And I think that's what everybody's looking for deep down is to feel whole, but I didn't feel that way. So it made me think, well, there must be something I'm missing. And that's where the curiosity really just expanded, ever expanding uh, into for me, more of a spiritual path and understanding the what I now call the cultivation of our inner light. So not just focusing on our outer light mm. and the stuff we focus on, but actually focusing inwards. And that's become a great focus of mine. So I'd say that's the prototypical story of curiosity in my life or archetypical. I'm not sure if I use those words correctly. But anyway, that that's it. <laughs> wow. There's, there's so much there. Um I'm tempted to kind of dive right into the, the inner light stuff, but I, I'm also struck by, I feel like it mirrors my own journey as well. In, in the last 10 years, I feel like the first like five or six years was kind of focused on like 
out of curiosity through travel through exploring through like, like optimizing as well and and it's like the last you know, maybe five or six years have also been that same force of curiosity has been directed inwards and I, I love the phrase they're like in a light i think that's that's beautiful let's talk about it if you like i'm happy yeah yeah well okay let's go there um what have been some of the most important kind of transitions in your in your thinking and your orientation to joy because it, it's I, I think it's something that we're we're all most of us at least are brought up with this idea that like if you do all of the right things you tick all the right boxes then you'll just be happy and you know many of the people i work with your founders they'll have successful businesses they'll have exits and they'll still have this feeling of like emptiness inside and then that sends them on this kind of existential crisis into this like inner this inner landscape this inner light that you're exploring so so what have been some of the the pivotal shifts and and maybe you know maybe challenges or like dark nights of the soul that led you onto this path yeah so as far as the challenges and dark nights of the soul that led me onto the path starting there and then getting to the other part of the question about joy I described it already just, you know, a bit in the beginning there, but I remember being in Croatia, uh, particularly, and I was, it was the late summer and it was, I think 2019 and I had just turned, I was just turning, I guess, 19 years old at the time, uh, or maybe 20. It's, I was born in 1999, so I would have been turning 20 years old. And I just remember feeling really like lost. I was spending so much energy and time just trying to decide which of these beautiful islands I would spend my time on. Cause like, but it, it had nothing to do with that decision. That was just a distraction, but it was like, I just f was feeling so lacking direction that I was coming up in retrospect with something to just fixate myself on instead of really going inwards and saying, why am I feeling like what's going on here? You know, I got to take a look at this. And I think that's sort of natural. Uh, it's our nat, at least in the way we've been raised in this society, it's our natural response to reach, ec to look externally when something's wrong. And it, it makes sense because of, again, the way that our society is structured and the way we're taught to think and, and the examples of our, our, that are around us. But it didn't help me because the more that I put my energy outside of me, the more that I put my energy outside of me. And so hence, I didn't take it in to, you know, make myself feel more whole. Uh, that was one that was one time I remember, then I remember, you know, around COVID coming up, I just remember feeling really empty, lost, in some ways, like desperate. And I remember finally thinking like, I've got to do something about this, really, like, I can't keep ignoring this, you know, I'm already feeling I was already feeling pretty tested and I didn't want to descend any further. And so I, I actually pulled up a podcast from Dr. Joe Dispenza. And for a long time, I sort of, how can I say, ignored some spiritual direction I had been given by people much wiser than myself, who I really look up to and admire, uh, just because I felt like I had it all figured out. I thought I kind of knew everything about life and hormones mm -hmm. and neurotransmitters and that, oh, if you have enough dopamine or whatever, because you get enough sunlight, you're going to be happy. I really believed that at the time. And uh, and I think a lot of people still do who are in that in that world that I was a part of. And so, yeah, I, I, 
I kind of had to start looking deeper at this point. And I remember also coming across different spiritual people and, and feeling given when we're in stress and survival, you know, one thing is you, you feel like you don't have enough time for anything constantly. And so I felt like if I'm going to put my energy and time into some spiritual practice or teacher, like it has to give me a result, you know, it can't be like some esoteric Mm -hmm. thing or some teacher who ends up being like a charlatan, like a false guru. And I came across certain people teaching different practices who later on, you know, were, let's say, revealed in one way or another to not really have been to the core. So I, I basically feel mm-hmm. lucky that that I, I felt drawn to Dr. Joe Dispenza. I mean, everybody has different opinions about different people, and um, everybody can tell you, you know, uh, a different perspective. But from my experience, he is uh, from my both my feeling and then having met him, he's a very authentic person who's truly, I, I believe, committed to helping people and changing lives. And uh, so, anyway, I, I dove into a podcast he was he was doing, and then I listened to a, a course he did, and then I went to some of his his retreats and it really blew my mind because I realized that there's so much more uh, to life than I had thought. I remember calling a friend of mine from high school who was one of my best friends still is and uh, kn- knows me better than almost anyone, you know, in the world and who being so close to me, you know, I wouldn't I think so, I've learned also sometimes when we're in a tough a challenging situation or we're not feeling well, we'll kind of like to the public We'll sort of put up a, uh, I mean, I've done this all the time. I see it in myself, not speaking just about other people, but we'll put up sort of a, a veil like, oh, you know, get on a podcast mm-hmm. and present this personality. But then like in our own life, it might be a bit of a different thing. And my goal is to dissolve that uh, difference because I think that that difference mm-hmm. isn't serving anyone. And it's ultimately like, I mean, I think if, yeah, if, if we're, for example, struggling. And so like, I, there have been times in my life where I was like, I mean, the people who are close to me or, or taking out my own internal frustration has nothing to do with them. But then like, you know, kind of on the surface being nice to people who are strangers, like, and, and it's kind of ironic, because it just it's backwards, right? But anyway, so, so that's just kind of a, a, a digression regarding this friend. So he was always there for me. And he was somebody I'd share with some of my my deepest challenges. And I remember calling him and saying, man, like this is going to sound crazy, but I realized from this course, this is Joe Dispenza's, you know, intensive and progressive online course. I realized that uh, from this course that I've been basically choosing to be miserable and stressed for as long as I can remember. Like I've been choosing to be a victim and play a victim mindset in my life, and I'm ready to stop doing that. And it was just such a a pivotal moment. I remember exactly where I was driving and exactly when I was uh, making that call. And it just, uh, it was a profound shift for me. So anyway, those are some of the, the, let's say, the challenging aspects that led me to make the shift. And then as far as the the question about joy, I mean, I'll give you my best answer. I'd say it's an ever-evolving answer. But Michael Singer, I, I defer to the, let's say, realized or enlightened beings, uh, higher beings, uh, than myself who have, who have done this work for decades. And I, you know, there's a teacher named Michael Singer. I imagine you've heard of the untethered soul and the surrender experiment. <clears throat> if you haven't, they're great books, highly recommended to anyone and everyone. And he was a follower of many teachers, but in particular Paramahansa Yogananda, who wrote the autobiography of a yogi, who's another teacher who I've, I've followed more and more recently after the influence of Joe Dispenza kind of 
flipped me into the fact that this whole inner light thing is so important. But anyway, Michael Singer said that the, the highest in his book, uh, The Untethered Soul, he says the highest state you've ever experienced was simply the result of how open you were. So what I've come to believe about mm -hmm. joy and these kinds of states is like in some way, Joe Dispenza says we're like fish in water looking or asking for a drink. In other words, the energy of what you could call God, what many would call God or Joe might call it the quantum field. Some people would call it source in traditional yogic traditions like that energy is actually all around us within us and all around us as much as uh, water is, you know, within and all around a fish swimming through the ocean. Right. And so it's like we're kind of, again, looking around like, where is it? And it's actually all around us. And somehow we have to learn how to open our hearts. And that might sound really esoteric, but I'm happy to try to explain it a little bit more scientifically but the practice is to learn how to actually open ourselves and surrender our limited emotions and limited beliefs as simple as even in this moment sitting identifying my own body and scanning and feeling like okay i'm not breathing as fully as i could be i'm holding a little bit of tension in my gut which is something i tend to do which you know probably correlates to the fact that i had these digestive issues throughout my childhood and if i'm not attentive to my state you know, these patterns, if we don't truly change ourselves, Joe, Dr. Joe Dispenza says nothing in your life changes till you change. You know, we actually have to change ourselves and then our entire life changes because who we are, our personality creates our personal reality, our life. And so that's just a, a little summary there. But basically, joy, I've come to believe isn't something that you you find or you create, but it's something that you open and surrender to as Again, in the words of Michael Singer, we learn how to open up and somehow that that energy always wants to pervade our body and spirit. And the only thing blocking it is us. Mm. Mm. Yeah, wow. What's coming to mind for me is like what brought me into this journey for myself, I guess, was going through the, the process of grief and how at a certain point, the intensity of the grief like, like opened me up, as you said, and I felt myself kind of receiving this. It was just like an overwhelming sense of connection and like sorrow, but also joy at the same time. It was like the actual, if I let go of the stories, it was like the feeling of joy and sorrow were more or less the same. And I'm curious about, you, you said that we could, you know, maybe go into the, like, what does it actually mean on a, let's say like, semi-scientific basis to open the heart and it's something that i've been doing research around things like uh hrv entrainment where a group of people will you know sing or tone or hum together and you can actually measure the electromagnetic waves coming from their hearts and they will entrain and there is this kind of principle of entrainment that happens and, and so I, i'm curious about i mean i'm curious about lots of things but like one how has your kind of citizen science like deeply analytical perspective grasped this world of, of, of Joe Dispenza, of meditation, of, of inner light, because on the surface, you know, a lot of people might hear this kind of thing and they'll dismiss it because it sounds woo. It's not backed by, you know, peer reviewed studies. But I mean, that, that may not be the case, but how have you wrestled with this kind of blending of the, the potent experiences that you've had with the, I imagine the desire to understand like what the fuck is going on here. Yeah. 
Yeah, absolutely. So first of all, <laughs> I'll make the, let's say, uh, first sort of a disclaimer. So uh, Dr. Joe Dispenza, he's somebody I've gotten to know. He's an amazing teacher. And I want to recommend that anybody who's interested in this, because I'm going to share a few things uh, that I can share, uh, but anybody who's interested in really going deeper actually checks out his work and goes to his events. But because of the significance of his work in my own journey, I'll share just a, f a bit about my own experience. And that can help people to understand, you know, why I've come to believe some of the things I, I believe now. And it serves as a bridge for me between my journey in the Western scientific world, where I studied, uh, as I mentioned earlier, I studied a lot about light, electromagnetism, energy, etc., which served as a really solid scientific foundation. So when I came to the work of, of Dr. Joe Dispenza, a lot of people are just new and they're just like, oh, this is amazing. Like they get all the science. I had this really thorough several years of study, which basically laid a very similar foundation to the work that he's developed. Now he's taken it hundreds of steps further as far as actually applying it to help people transform and change their inner state for which I'm so, so grateful because I mean, that's what they say is like, we all stand on the shoulders of giants, right? As we evolve and grow and, and teach and share anyway. So I had this just starting here. I had this background of studying light and electromagnetic energy. Uh, and how it affects our health and why it's relevant to our health and our biology. There's books like The Body Electric by Dr. Robert O'Becker and Light Shaping Life by Roland van Vyck, who is uh, van Vyck, I think is how it's pronounced in Dutch, but I could be botching that. But anyway, it's one book, The Body Electric, is all about how our cells operate with electricity. And that was proven beyond a shadow of a doubt in his work. And we can get into more detail if you'd like there. But Regarding Roland van Feyck, he has this book, Light Shaping Life, which actually is a, a compendium, a textbook of the majority of the research on biophotons. So actually light, electromagnetic radiation emitted by cells for communication purposes and so on, and the significant role that this radiation plays in our cells. In fact, our cells create their own light, right? So right there with really, really really well-established and really well-studied Western science, there's already a foundation for the, the fact that we are beings of light, electromagnetic beings. Uh, and for me, that was a pretty big finding. Exposure to that definitely made me open-minded to spirituality because I was open to things like acupuncture, Tai Chi, Qigong, which document flow of energy through our nervous systems that the traditional mm -hmm. Western scientific narrative, which hasn't fully informed itself of the research of some of the folks I've just mentioned in these books, which are just a few of, of many more, yep. they've rejected. And Becker explains this very well in his book, how there's sort of always been a feud between the vitalists and the mechanists. And the vitalists were those in biology mm -hmm. who believe that there's a yeah. vital spark underpinning life. Whereas the mech of some kind of energy and the mechanist said, no, it's all just chemical. That's it. It's just, a, you're just a sack of uh, water containing chemicals interacting and it's all random and it's all based on genetic determinism and everything that happens in your biology is a result of your genes and you can't really change anything. Mm -hmm. If you have an issue, the best you can do is pretty much take a drug. And that's what our entire mm -hmm. Western medical system is based on today is a very reductionist mechanistic understanding of biology, which made sense when 
most diseases at a certain time were bacterial. And with just a single scoop, a teaspoon of white powder called penicillin, you could basically cure any disease, the majority of, of fatal diseases at that time. That was like, whoa, this is this is it. Uh, but now, 50, 75 years after the advent of the first antibiotics, you have more and more people sicker than ever with diseases that penicillin and antibiotics cannot treat and are not treating and, and will not treat because they're not diseases of, of bacterial infection. They're diseases of the system itself being compromised, not by a foreign invader, but by a failure of the system to function, which has many causes, but you know some of the largest of which are the jabs that everybody's getting uh, full of mercury, uh, glyphosate toxicity, electromagnetic radiation toxicity, constant toxicity by artificial light, among others. And it's particularly pronounced in the United States. The dose of toxicity is so high here because of the really significant lack of regulatory compared to other countries, in particular, again, on the food and drug side and uh, on the medical side. So anyway, that's uh, just a a summary there. So anyway, that was the vitalist versus mechanist, let's say, feud. And the mechanists sort of won out, but the vitalists are gaining significant ground, I would say. I'm one of them, we could say. I mean, if we were to look at it, <laughs> uh, you know, most of the people in health and wellness today would be more, I shouldn't say most, but many are vitalists. It's ironic because those who proclaim food and supplements as the only solution are actually much more mechanistic. They're much more similar to western mainstream medicine than they would have you think it's basically like oh you're sick let's do a bunch of labs let's take you to a functional doctor and draw all your blood and measure all your things let's give you hundreds of supplements to take or dozens at least a lot of the time and do 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 and the system will just start working and this is the ironic thing it was the same with my experience with western medicine and the same with it's the same with uh and my experience with the paleo diet and the autoimmune paleo diet in particular and my experience with functional medicine doctors is they they look at your values they come up with all these supplements and ivs and all this other stuff and to their credit some lifestyle things uh but the core focus is usually on the supplementation like that's going to make the difference and but the idea Johnny, at the core is that you're going to give the body enough support with all of these supplements for what? For the body to basically support itself once again. And so it's the same thing with the premise, same thing behind the autoimmune protocol that I did for a long time, the auto paleo autoimmune diet. It's like the idea is you, you're going to have an elimination diet that's so strict, much like the carnivore diet today, where you're going to cut out everything that could possibly trigger, inflame the gut, trigger your immune system. And the idea that's proclaimed is that your gut and your body will, and your immune system will naturally heal itself and come back to balance. And it's interesting because nobody ever talks about, at least that I ever heard in that space, why what is the force that's causing the body to heal itself? And could we tap into that directly without having to basically starve ourselves right. or, or restrict ourselves? Like, could we tap into the, the force that heals, the power that heals? The reason I'm sort of, I'd say, passionate about this is because I was so blinded and so stuck in this world of elimination diets and supplements for a really long time. And I suffered. I struggled massively mm. because I believed falsely that that was the be all end all, as many people still do. And that's why I share this message. And that's why I'm not a, I'm not a fan of the carnivore diet personally. You know, if you're on it, more power to mm. you. But um, I don't really think it's it's reasonable for people to think that if somebody wants to just eat that way for the different effects of meat, fine. But if somebody's eating that way because they believe that it's going to heal them, but then if they have a sweet potato or a blueberry, their immune system goes haywire. And I'm not making these examples up. These are literally 
testimonies of people in the space who are leaders in the space who, if they have a little bit of spinach, it destroys their gut. I mean, I've talked to the three mm, top carnivore, yeah. actually the four top carnivore experts in the space. I've talked to all of them, either on a podcast or in person and, or on a call or something. And maybe there's more than four now, but like these people have told me their own stories of how if they eat something that's a plant with certain oxalates or this or that, like their gut gets wrecked. And they have all these problems. And I'm not saying that's not real. I'm not trying to minimize that experience. And it's not just them. It's many people in the movement. It's just to say that if the body's still reacting the way it used to, to those things, and sometimes it even gets worse for people, have you healed or are you just hiding the symptoms in the same way that Western medicine does with different drugs, treating the symptoms and not the root cause? And I would say that it's still just treating the symptoms and not the root cause. And so hence why I say that those approaches are, I would say, arguably more mechanist. But anyway, I don't particularly like to go after a particular approach. I think everybody's on their path and everyone has to go through their own journey to find what works for them. But from my experience, this is my cautionary tale regarding elimination diets and obsessive focus on food supplementation and functional medicine. My experience showed me that we would be better suited if our goal is true health and wellness, we would be better suited to focus on the factors that support basically the energy field. So, and I know this is going to sound esoteric and vague and, and let's get into a little more detail. You asked the question about the heart, but basically to focus on the things that support that system. So that's it. Now to your question about the heart, unless you want to interject and, and go a different direction and feel free, but regarding uh, the heart and opening the heart, one of the things that I've seen in the Dispenza work and community is they've studied literally thousands of people's brains and hearts with uh, heart monitors and, and brain EEG, quantitative EEGs, measuring brain waves, measuring the heart. And they see this unbelievable, I mean, it's almost unbelievable, but it, it is believable when you, you know, when you have this inclination and understanding as you do, of course, as I do. But when the brain would go into these coherent states, they'd see the heart also go into these super coherent states. When we say coherent, there's a sort of rhythm that's present that isn't normally present that indicates health, wholeness, not in survival, you know, not in stress, which we know the research is clear. Stress can make us really sick. Um, the Heart Math Institute is a very large resource on the subject who has studied thoroughly the effects of heart coherence on our health and wellness. And, and you, uh, of course, implied uh, that you've looked into some of these things. So. I would say from my own personal experience, just speaking really from me, somehow I've come to realize when we wouldn't know this unless we actually start to practice it, but you can actually feel when your heart's closed and your heart's opened. And can I put really scientific language behind that right now? Not really. I could try a little bit more, but basically like you can feel if you're relaxed and comfortable and you feel safe, you can actually feel that you just kind of feel like, okay, if that makes sense. And then you can also feel when things don't feel okay. And a lot of the time, the only difference, because the circumstances outside of us are what they're going to be. And it's just that we've basically chosen to say, yeah, when this circumstance is like this, I'm going to react in this way, and I'm going to close my heart, and I'm going to be stressed and upset. And then when this circumstance happens, I'm going to open my heart and feel safe and secure in that way if you see what I'm saying. 
And so we've kind of created this artificial idea that this situation, I should be unhappy in this situation, I should be happy. But what's interesting to me is, and this is what many authors, including Michael Singer has, has have written about is that the spiritual path is when we switch that where we work on keeping our heart open or choosing to be happy and have control over our inner state, regardless of the external circumstances. And that that's really the spiritual journey. So for example, mm. like when I'm interacting with my mother or with somebody who, and a lot of the time it's our parents, cause like they're our teachers and we're their teachers. So there's a lot of triggers there, right? But like when I'm interacting with my mother, mm -hmm. like there's so many times where I wanna uh, react and we actually work together. So she actually helps in my, in my company in various capacities and it's, and it's been a great pleasure and, and, you know, nobody works up. I don't think anybody takes better care of, of certain things than, than a mother. And in many cases, just like they would of, of a, of a grandchild, for example. So anyway, it's been a really a great pleasure and tremendous benefit to my mission. And at the same time, there's lots of opportunities for triggers, right. To arise. And so I'm actively and not perfect by any stretch at all, but actively working on becoming aware. And I think this is the path of like, when I'm angry and I wanna say something mean and react, like that is the time we have to change. And the question that Joe Dispenza, he puts it so nicely is like, you know, I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but like what part of myself would I have to be willing to let go of? to not feel this way anymore. Michael Singer says it, you know, like we basically, when we're opening up in the sort of surrender experiment, like there's parts of us that literally die in surrendering this, you know, opening up and surrender. When we want to close and react, we actually have to open up. And it's like, it's so hard for me. And I think for many people, this is why many people don't do it. In fact, I would go as far as saying, Johnny, I think it's probably one of the, I think it's the hardest thing in the world sometimes to when everything, every situation, all of our experience, like our entire in those moments when we're in that altered state of stress and survival and anger, like every single part of our universe, not just like, not just us, but everything feels like it's messed up. I, at least speaking from my, my experience. And it doesn't just feel like it's us. It feels like the whole world is going wrong, even though it's, again, it's just our altered yeah. state in that moment. But like everything wants to say, screw you, F you, you know, da, 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 make somebody feel like crap. Like there's this like anger that wants to come through and hatred and to open up and let love fill in that darkness I think it's one of the hardest and probably the scariest things in the world. And again, I'm not perfect at it by any means, although I'm working on it. But I asked myself the question, like, what would happen if I actually let go of this anger? Like, what, like, would my life be different? Would I maybe be a happier person if I was willing to let go of this judgment, frustration, anger, impatience? Because I am I feel myself in some moments, and thank you for letting me go here. I think this is a really valuable point. When I'm so so committed I, I felt this many times like so committed to being angry but to being right but also to being <laughs> angry and it's like it's an identity and i'm asking myself like really what would i have to let go of what would my life be like how might my life be different if i decided to let go of this like maybe i would just stop being angry and that's what again somebody like uh, dr joe dispenza says for example you know what would your life be like if you actually stopped being unhappy maybe you would just be happy 
And I thought that's really interesting. Like all the things I've I've tried to do of, over the last few years, there's always this sort of searching, seeking, trying to plan the next trip, the next whatever. I've done it for so long. And I've asked myself, like, what if I just stopped doing this and just chilled out? Mm-hmm. Maybe I would actually just – and I've done it enough times to know that that's unexpectedly – it's not what we would expect, at least what I would expect because I've been – we've all, many of us, I believe, have been programmed to think that we have to grind. We have to grind really hard. We have to plan and struggle and suffer, and I don't – I reject that idea that you need to grind to be successful. I do not believe that. I think when you grind, you hurt yourself doesn't mean you have not to be dedicated and committed to something. It's totally different. But the idea of the grind to me implies suffering and struggling. And it's like, if it's, if it were possible, and this is my experiment in my life now, like, is it possible to be successful, have a business that runs, uh, have a business that grows and reaches millions of people or hundreds of millions or billions of people, but not grinding, but being open, surrendered, happy, joyful doesn't mean doesn't mean we don't do hard things. I think the things that somebody does when they commit to staying open when things get hard is harder than grinding actually in many respects. So it doesn't mean that we don't do hard things. It's just a different kind of hard. It's like forcing and pushing and struggling and and almost hurting ourselves versus like opening, surrendering, letting go of our ego. And that is the story of the surrender experiment, the book of Michael Singer. He ends up running a multi-billion dollar company just by surrendering. People have to read the book to see how that amazing story, you know, he introduces what I just shared at the beginning. So it's not a spoiler, but basically how the whole thing comes together just by opening up and accepting what life offers and making it where it's not about what I want. It's about what the universe or God wants for me, what it's showing me. So it sounds super esoteric, Mm. but there's a lot of experience on my side behind this and a lot of really intelligent people have written about this. And I think this is what matters more than almost anything in life, including for our health. Mm. <laughs> wow. Wow, this is, this is not at all the direction I thought we were going to go in for, for today. I'd researched all these questions about light and photobiology oh, and mitochondria. And actually, I actually love that this is the direction it's, it's gone in because it's, yeah, it, I mean, it, it feels very much aligned with what I'm attempting to share, teach, experiment for myself around nervous system mastery, which in its essence is is around the question of like, how do we rise out of reactivity and how do we live from this heart open space when there are so many triggers in life from our environment, from parents, from from relationships? And I think that is, that's the fundamental question that I, I've been wrestling with for myself. And... There were so many things coming up as you were speaking, but I, I think one of them was you mentioned the, the kind of the vitalists and the mechanists. And something I've been exploring for myself is that there are so, you can kind of create certain conditions where it is easier to rise out of reactivity. And, and, and I think it would, might also be worth unpacking what that means as well. But when like in, in the work that I do around emotions, let's say someone gets, someone gets angry, I actually think that there's kind of two paths and, and they may be pointing to the same thing. There's like the, the Joe Dispenza, Michael Singer path, Ramdas too, where they're just like, just let go of it. Just like, let it go. Just drop it. Like drop that part of yourself that thinks it needs to be angry. And then there's also an, another path, which is more coming from the work of Joe Hudson, where he, he says, 
just like welcome, love, feel, and sometimes express the anger as well. Like, like sometimes I think a lot of people that get depressed, at least I've noticed from my work as a breath worker, it's more a function of they have a lot of repressed or unfelt anger. Like they feel that anger is a bad thing. And so they, they just push it down, they meditate it away. And actually that in itself causes a, a lot of health problems. But the direction that, I, that I'm curious about is I feel like there is actually this blend that's required between the vitalistic perspectives, which I think is where a lot of philosophy kind of medicine originated from you know, thousands of years ago, and the more recent mechanistic view. And in my experience, it's, it's actually easier to, let's, let's, say, let's say I had a call with my mum, she said something, it triggered me. It, it would actually be easier for me to downregulate to come back to myself, come back to my heart with an understanding of the, let's say the mechanistic interventions that make a difference. So things that you've been researching in the earlier parts of your life, like eating well, uh, having good like light exposure to non-artificial light, to grounding in the earth outside, to, to co-regulating with, with nature. Like I think all those things actually do play a part in this kind of inner challenge of keeping our hearts open and, and having a kind of open awareness to everything and, and not closing down and th there's a line that that kind of came to me in, in while I, when i was studying the nervous system and it's like it speaks to the same the kind of fish in water thing where the nervous system is basically a lens through which we experience reality like you said when you're angry you see the entire world as angry you see you see everything that's wrong with the world and then when you downshift and when you downregulate, then like all of a sudden the world becomes safe the world becomes like a beautiful place full of wonder and awe and so i think i'm i'm curious to hear like what have you learned about combining like you know what you've learned and practiced from the first decade of, of your life in this kind of biohacking human optimization world versus maybe like a broader perspective about what actually matters and what it's pointing to yeah i appreciate the question i think it's a great question so for me, what I started to learn about from the perspective of health and wellness and from diets to light, it led me it led me to light. It led me to this electromagnetic understanding that we are beings of energy, beings of electromagnetism, which of course led to the more uh, spiritual inner light focus, which I do believe is critical. Now, I believe from my experience that, and this is why I'm more interested in speaking about this than anything else at this point, because not just for myself, but for people who are who are searching. Because I remember at one point when I went to uh, my first meditation retreat with with Dr. Joe Dispenza. So that but but the first time in my life that I just took time out of my life out of my work as an adult to focus on myself and my inner state and not continue to reaffirm my own patterns because I would wake up every day and open my laptop and continue to feel and think the same way. And this uh, taking a week out, I think four years or so into starting my company or three and a half years or so into starting my company was a pretty big step. And I remember after a few days of really absorbing this, as I described, deepening of the information I was already familiar with about about our biology, but really in a much more practical way to be applied for spiritual development and, and development of our, our energetic field, etc. I remember feeling so 
I felt so good one day on the beach, like so good on after this walking meditation. Mm-hmm. I felt so open. I remember asking myself, like, what's wrong with me? You know, Joe, Joe will make jokes like this. Like people ask, oh, what's wrong with me? I can't open my heart. And it's like, well, that's not the... That's not the mind of the being who has an open heart. You know, they're not asking why am I not healed yet? Yeah, they're not just they're not asking why am I not healed yet? They're just stepping into the glory of the feeling of being healed. Like it's just it's not something you think your way into. And I just remember as I was walking down the beach, I had the thought like, what's why can't I do this? And I just somehow something clicked like, what if I just got over this? You know, I had all this great information I had assimilated all week about how to overcome myself and I saw examples of people I met throughout the week who I could see they were feeling better, changing their state. It was this great energy. And I just thought, what if I actually just opened up a little bit more, just tried, right? And somehow the act of, of just attempting to open myself up a little bit more than I felt comfortable with, that's the key thing. It's not going to feel comfortable, of course, because it's mm-hmm. unknown. But that doesn't mean it's bad or unsafe. By definition, mm-hmm these new feelings and new ways of feeling for people are going to be unknown. This is something Joe talks about a lot. It's going to be unknown for us. Doesn't mean it's bad. Like if you've never felt true joy in your life, it's probably going to be scary because it's going to feel super unknown to let go of the, because we get attached to the familiar, even if it's something we don't, an emotion we don't enjoy, we become attached to it because it's comfortable and familiar. Like the suffering becomes comfortable and familiar. So we would actually choose that over opening up to an, potentially positive unknown. So anyway, I just tried this and in the act, it's also interesting in this uh, spiritual work, how it's not like the, how do I say this? Somehow our own internal changes create our experience of the world outside of us. It's really interesting. And it makes sense from a purely, and I thought about this even well before discovering the work of Dr. Joe, he just helped to put more detail into it. But basically it's interesting. It's always been interesting to me how the information we're receiving from our external environment is just basically indiscriminate sensory information. I mean, information. It's just electromagnetic waves, for example, from light, uh, of light, vibrations in the air of that we call sound, you know, things that we, we feel, tactile sensation, the repulsion of different, like I can't put my hand through the table because of the repulsion of the charged particles that make up the table. It's not that it's actually solid. It's mostly empty space, but it's electromagnetic repulsion. So anyway, we have all this sensory information coming in all the time. And I would say it doesn't have an innate meaning to it. Like this information doesn't have an innate meaning by in and of itself. We assign meaning to all of it. Like every single thing from a tree to grass to a table to a chair, all the stuff around me, the mountains, the cell towers on the hill, the birds, like all of it is there's a meaning that I've assigned from my understanding. A baby sees it just as this experience, right? And I'm not saying it's bad that we assign meaning to it. In fact, I think it's very much necessary. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because what it means is that the only way, not one way, but the only way to change our experience of our outer world is by changing these inner perceptions, the way we perceive this information. I really think that's true. And that's the same thing Dr. Joe says when he says, you know, your personality, the way you think, act, and feel, creates your personal reality. And in order to change your personal reality, you have to change your personality. Otherwise, nothing in your life is going to change. And the way I just explained it from my own you know, learning and perception, like we have this indiscriminate sensory information coming in. We assign all the meaning to it. And in order to change – and that, that meaning that we assign is our life. 
You know, so they say we don't see the world. You basically just implied this. We don't see the world the way it is. We see it as we are. You could also make a case that the entire universe we're experiencing. In fact, I think this isn't even under debate. Uh, this is just accepted in science is that the world I'm experiencing right now, the entire my experience of it is entirely occurring in my brain. Right. Like mm -hmm. that. It makes sense if the images are being formed in my brain. Yeah, there might be this whole world outside of me that I'm perceiving, but I'm effectively living in my own universe. And so, again, if I wanted to change, if something really bad happens, it's only bad because I say it's bad because I've conditioned myself to think it's bad and to react a certain way. If I were to, you know, and this is a such, I love cliches a lot of the time, like common phrases that people repeat because I find myself citing them more and more often. But the funny thing is everybody will say cliches, but a lot of the time people don't understand the meaning or don't apply the meaning or don't have the context for why it's actually true. But for example, there's these books, you know, like the titles, you can get the whole idea of it. Like the obstacle is the way, you know, if you just, if we, if we change our perspective from this understanding of the way the universe is created in our head, our experience of the universe, at least, then it makes sense that you could say, yeah, well, if I face something that I would previously call a challenge, and now I'm going to say, no, this is exactly because the universe or the world or whatever God has given me a, what I'm perceiving in this moment as a challenge right now. It is the perfect moment and the perfect opportunity because it is on my plate and I can't argue with that. And the fact that it's here right now probably means that it's the thing that I need to deal with to get to the next level. It is the perfect opportunity for me to overcome the limited emotion or limited level of, of consciousness that I've been existing at. And so in other words, again, you could say the obstacles away. So the next challenge that comes my way and I, I'm here, I am talking to you, I'm thinking about four or five things that I've been dealing with recently that I'm like, geez, I better apply. I better really continue to apply this philosophy to these situations. And <laughs> you know, I do it, I do it regularly, but it's not funny. Sometimes I'm like, geez, you know, yeah. this is important. So, but anyway, taking that, changing like that. the perception, and approaching the situation as like, maybe this is my opportunity for growth. For example, I'll give you an example right now that's that's actually pertinent to me. Like, I've been traveling like crazy recently. I'm exhausted. I traveled too much. I thought more than I, I thought I could manage. And it's interesting because I have a situation in the present sort of moment, the, the near future, where I'm like, there's some things I'm committed to do that a part of me is like, yeah, of course, I'd love to do those things. But another part of me is like, I don't know if it's a smart idea from a perspective of taking care of my own well-being. I've been pushing myself really hard. Totally. Now, not that there's a right totally. or a wrong answer, but I'm just looking. I could look at that like, oh, this is a big problem. Why is it hard? Why couldn't it be easier? Or I could just say, well, there's a limit in my consciousness, in my thinking, that this is actually a problem versus observing it as a way to grow and level up to the next level in whatever way that that means. And I don't know the answer to the question. And it's only it all depends. The situation could be one outcome in one context and another in a different one. Right. But so you asked the question, mm -hmm. circling back to your original question, how does this become practical? How do we take the stuff that I was learning in earlier parts of my life? And where I'm going is that that day that I was on this walking meditation on the beach at this retreat, I remember opening up and feeling really, really good, really whole. And I felt so much energy coursing through my body, through my nervous system, through my auric field, whatever it is, I felt a lot of energy flowing through my body. And I started to have a taste and an understanding of, you know, what Dr. Dispenza and other spiritual teachers talk about in this, 
these spiritual states of bliss, joy, ecstasy, where even people in the Dispenza community practicing that his particular methods of, of meditation have actually healed from many, many really severe diseases in the last several, you know, in the last decade or so, which is pretty amazing, like spontaneous remissions effectively. And I had a taste of that energy. I felt really good. And I remember like feeling so overcome with love and joy that I, I was just trying to call all of my family members to share that I love them because mm. I just felt so good and I felt no, so whole. No. And, I, and I, I remember having a thought, and this is the key takeaway mm. as, as it relates to your question. I remember having a thought, maybe the reason I had gut issues my whole childhood was because I was living in chronic stress and survival for a variety of reasons. Parents, divorce, constant, there was a worry about money. So there was this feeling of not being safe and secure. And so what happens is you close your heart, you basically drain all of your vital energy into your survival energy centers. Mm -hmm. And you're basically draining your energy, staying in stress, and it makes perfect sense. The research is very clear. There's nobody arguing this either. When you're in stress and survival, your body's not gonna digest. When you're in the sympathetic nervous system, you're not going to be in parasympathetic yep. and rest and digest. So there's no argument about that. But the thing that's just not, people don't necessarily take it to the next step, which again, thank God for Dr. Dispenza doing this in, in my view. We don't realize that we can actually control these thoughts with our mind. That's where there's a mistake in traditional psychology is that we're almost victims to the, the different emotions we're feeling. And if you go to a traditional psychotherapist, you know, they're maybe going to just, at least my experience was that, sort of soothe you and comfort you and kind of ask very delicate vanilla questions about, oh, and why do you, you know, <laughs> nothing against that because I think that might work for some people, but is it really working or is it, again, back to the carnivore diet, the, um, you know, different, I I'm probably singling out the carnivore diet too much, all elimination diets, the supplement, <laughs> the supplement focus, it's yeah. like another, is it actually healing the root cause or is it another crutch? And so... I had this thought, I thought if I could just continue to surrender and open up, surrender and open up, relax and get out of survival, relax and get out of survival enough that it becomes my default state of being where I'm not contracting this, my gut and feeling in the survival state, which I started to, again, talking about the unknown and the discomfort. I realized, Johnny, I was like, I spent my entire life in this state. You know, it makes sense that people get sick, really sick, because if you spend your life constantly contracting your lower centers and stress and survival and putting all your energy in the, the lower energy centers, basically, you know, our adrenal glands for fighting and pushing willpower into, yeah, basically that's the main one when people get stressed. You drain off your vital energy down there. It makes sense people won't be able to, to digest. It makes sense people will have gut issues and it made sense to me. So yeah, I'm not saying people shouldn't do eat healthy foods. I think that's really important and I still do. I'm not saying that people should you know, not observe healthy circadian meal timing. I think that's important and I still do. I try not to eat almost any food at all after five or 6 p.m. in the evening. And if I do, I try to keep it light. And if I don't, then I feel the consequences. Um, you know, I make my main meal lunch uh, or even sometimes breakfast, but lunch is my main meal because that's when our nerve, our body is best suited for digestion. And we could talk about all that all day. That's going to warrant a separate, probably interview, a conversation about the circadian rhythm and all that stuff. But our biology is best suited to digest food in the middle of the day when the sun's the most active because our metabolism mirrors the sun. And so the biggest meal, if you're eating one meal a day, it shouldn't be the dinner, it should be lunch from a health perspective, from a digestion and a taking care of your sleep and circadian rhythm standpoint. So I still do all that stuff. You know, I've been a little bit, as I mentioned to yep. you, 
uh, over the top on my travel, which is very stressful for the body. And it's had certain effects on my, on my physiology, kind of causing me to be totally. a little bit dehydrated and, and whatnot. But anyway, but I'm aware of that learning. But so I still do my best to practice all these different things. I still keep my phone on airplane mode. I still block blue light at night. That's why I created a company making the blue light protection glasses. And I love it. And I feel great when I do. And I feel the effects, the disruption when I don't. But all that's to say, I was doing all that stuff already, but still feeling stuck. And I truly believe that the deepest message that I could share that could help most people today, because I think it's probably the biggest, either the biggest or one of the largest afflictions most people face today is living in chronic emotional stress and turmoil, which as a result of creating a permanent stress state or semi-permanent stress state in the body, people use all their vital energy to react and ultimately end up being miserable in the moment because they're reacting in a way that isn't necessary because you don't have to run from a lion in those moments. Like that's what that reaction's for. So people become miserable in the moment. They're hurting themselves. We also become less effective at dealing with the actual problems, as you know, in our life, because when we actually go into that survival state, we become hyper-focused on the problem. We can't see beyond it. We lose all of our critical thinking and we basically become useless when it comes to solving problems. And so it's like, you're not only making yourself miserable, you're also we're also eliminating our ability in those dates to solve problems effectively. And then we're, we're sapping our, our health for the future. And we're literally creating and this is another cliche, but has a really strong basis. And I'm so glad we're talking about this, like, is that when we choose to be in fear of something, we actually create the experience in that moment of the worst case scenario already happening that we're afraid of as if it already happened, but it hasn't happened. So it's like, and Joe Dispenza says this well, like of all the potentials in the quantum field that we could create our reality, we actually create physical visceral experience of the worst case scenario. And we live it in our mind and in our life. And we've explained today how, how there's not a lot of difference between the two. It's kind of crazy. And it's, you know, I give one more analogy for this. The best story ever for this is Star Wars. It is unbelievable how well. Have you ever seen Star Wars? <laughs> tell me, yeah. Please tell me you have. Well, many people haven't. I'm shocked. I'm <laughs> you haven't seen Star Wars. But so if you haven't watched Star Wars, you got to watch Star Wars. You got to watch from one to six in that order. And some people say you start with four, but that wouldn't serve my point as well. At one through three in particular. So Anakin Skywalker, and if you haven't seen Star Wars, skip this part. But Anakin Skywalker, basically, or, or don't, you'll get, you'll have a much deeper meaning when you watch it. He listens to his fears that his wife is going to die in childbirth. And because he listens to his fears from his bad dreams, he actually chooses to buy into his fears fully and put all of his eggs in the fear basket. He decides to kill a Jedi and submit himself fully to the Dark Lord, sort of the Sith Lord, Emperor Palpatine. And I probably sound like such a nerd, but he Palpatine represents basically <laughs> fear, destruction, suffering, negative emotions. And he decides to surrender himself completely to those negative emotions in the hopes that he'll be able to prevent his bad, his worst nightmare from happening. But in doing so, he creates his worst nightmare. He causes his wife to die in childbirth because of the stress and fear she goes through, mm -hmm. all because he listened to his bad dreams. Now that might sound like a big one, but that's exactly what happens in Star Wars. And when you look at it from a spiritual perspective, it is a trip. But so that's exactly what we do when we choose to buy into fear. We don't just, we're not actually preventing that situation from happening in the end. We're actually creating the experience of the situation happening in the moment, creating the very thing that we're trying to avoid. 
And it sounds so counterintuitive in some respects, but it makes perfect sense when you think about it and when you look and apply it to your life. So all day we could talk about light and circadian rhythms and all this stuff and people can, uh, we do another podcast to dive into that. But I really believe that that this is the most important thing. No, I, I love that so much. And then there's a few things I want to kind of add as like cherries on top to what you just Please. shared. The first is this idea of the, the golden algorithm, which um, Joe Hudson, who's, who's been on the podcast before, which is exactly that, what you just shared through Star Wars, that by, by avoiding feeling a certain way, life will kind of conspire in order to make us feel it even more intensely in a way that we couldn't have expected. And I think the other thing that I want to kind of double click on for listeners as well is is this reframe of like instead of habitually avoiding triggers or avoiding feeling certain things i, I remember there was this moment for me during breathwork training where there was this phrase that they they said like take it to the mat and so if something would come up like anger frustration shame something that i didn't want to feel then the invitation would be to go do a breathwork journey pretty much like right away and get curious about it and realize what is going on on a deeper level. And time and time and time again, I would go in. I remember that there was one point where I was actually triggered by my teacher and there was this feeling of like anger and shame coming up and did a breathwork journey about half an hour later and had this profound kind of cathartic experience that related back to my childhood. And I left, as you said earlier, kind of feeling more whole and feeling more integrated. And I think that is the ultimate like if listeners were to, there's a lot that's been shared, uh, this amazing conversation, but I think one of the key things is that when we get in that kind of trigger state, it's almost like a signpost to be curious and to look inwards. And it's an invitation to be more whole, ultimately, at the end of the day. There's like a part of ourselves that we have exactly. exhaled. Um, and, and from a kind of, if people kind of want the scientific side of things, you can you can search for a recent, really recent paper called, see if I can find it, it's the, the energetic cost of allostasis and allostatic load. And that paper basically kind of backs everything that Matt's just been sharing around how the body just goes into this kind of um, survival shutdown space when there is this much emotional debt that's been accumulated, which is basically all these times that we've been, we've been triggered and we haven't been able to open up to those feeling states. Okay, I'm going to pause here. I, I, feel, <laughs> I feel like this could Great. be like a five-hour podcast. I'd love to, love to ask you five rapid-fire questions. Let's do and it. And then we will, we will wrap it up for today. All right, cool. So first one. <laughs> this, is, this might not be a rapid-fire one. We'll see. What is one half-baked theory or hypothesis that you hold that you suspect is true, but you don't have proof for? Well, I feel like we just kind of got through sharing it for the most part. What, what I would... Mm naturally respond to this question is the idea that we really are unlimited um you know dr joe says it really well you're greater than you think more powerful than you know more unlimited than you could ever imagine and i think it's a very (laughs) i think it's very popular uh, i should say it's a very powerful idea as my grandfather stop (laughs) saying hello so i think it's a very powerful idea (laughs) that we should definitely consider and the way that I think about this is that, for example, even in, in my own situations, like a, a scenario I mentioned to you earlier, thinking about different values and balancing of different uh, decisions, questions about travel and about commitments to people versus taking care of myself. I'm trying, whereas in the past, I would ask questions of like, from a limited perspective of, oh, you know, what do I have to do to just almost coming from a, a state of fear? Like there would be a fear-based perspective. 
And I would ask, my frame of reference would be that I'm not unlimited, that I can't do anything. And I'm just experimenting with what if I actually were able to do anything right now? I'm not saying like crazy stuff, like, you know, getting on an airplane every day for a month and flying a different place. I bet if you, if you condition your mind correctly, I think you probably could manage that. So it's, it's, for me, it's about, can I condition my mind and bring my body into such a state of balance, which I'm not a master at yet, but I'm experimenting to find the highest outcome in any situation. I'm not sure if I've said that quite well, but, but basically it just, I'll, I'll give it one more shot. The better way of putting it is if you look at the, read the autobiography of a yogi, I don't think these are half baked, but I'll, I'll put them in this question just because most people will think they're half baked. But if you read the autobiography of a yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda, the great masters and saints that he describes through his journey through India, looking for his guru had these supernatural spiritual powers like levitation, like constant ecstasy and never sleeping really um, unbelievable stuff that most people would say that's impossible but when you've studied the body electric and you've studied light shaping life and you understand that we are electromagnetic and you understand that there's sort of no limit to electromagnetic energy and if a human you could say theoretically if a human were to cultivate this energy in themselves to the maximum extent could we even resurrect from death could we even keep our body in two places at once. That's kind of what I'm referring to. The first way I was answering it was kind of a, a attempt at, at this, which is, I think, much more on point. So things for people to think about. You don't have to agree with me, reject it all you want, but I would I would encourage people to read some of this research, read some of these uh, also spiritual texts and consider, could that actually be possible? Could it be that these people who are accounting these stories could be telling the truth? Mm, beautiful, and I'd say for listeners, um, Ramdas, or Michael Singer are two good starting points for, for this kind of perspective. Right. Um, okay, question number two. What is one underappreciated book or research paper that has impacted your life in a positive way? Yeah, I would say I just gave it, The Autobiography of a Yogi by Paramahansa Yogananda. Great, beautiful. If you had a research grant and a team with a million dollar budget, what is one study that you would like to run? These are great questions. I haven't thought about this a ton. I mean... Hmm. One, I'll, I'll just do two briefly. One, I would I would love to study, you know, the products we make, blue light protection glasses, and really with a more clinical approach show that they work. There are some studies uh, that have shown that, that amber lens blue light blocking glasses are effective. There are studies that show that blue blocking glasses aren't effective, but these are the ones using the clear lenses, which we know don't work. I've tested dozens of pairs of clear lens blue blocking glasses, and they, they don't even block the range of light that comes from our modern lights. So of course they don't work because they don't block the light that is the problem. Um, but anyway, the cool thing about the blue light protection glasses, which we didn't talk about at all, which is, is fine actually, is that there's so many strong mechanisms behind blue light protection and blue light protection eyewear. The fact that we have a circadian rhythm, it's set by blue light. And so blue light at night disrupts it and suppresses melatonin. All of that's well documented. And then again, some limited studies, uh, but solid nonetheless, that these can actually work for improving sleep and health. So anyway, and then we have the partnership we did with Aura last year as a company. Um, my company's called Raw Optics. Yeah, I, I don't know if that'll be in the show notes, but basically a partnership with Aura we did last year where many, many thousands of their customers received a pair of our glasses as a free gift in exchange for referring a friend. And we got hundreds of, of 
reviews, basically unsolicited, just people had such a great experience they wanted to share. That's not exactly true because we did send out emails requesting, you know, we, we sent out an email <laughs> flow. They weren't exactly unsolicited, but I should say they were unexpected because they were unexpected reviews because the customers didn't purchase the glasses. They just got them as a free gift. So they were unexpected that people would take the time to actually leave us a review of their experience regardless. And sure enough, they did. And it was unbelievable the amount of people who, who actually clarified or explained that their sleep scores improved significantly. Some provided sleep screenshots. So we know that the product works very well from experience and from the data now. But anyway, I would love to run a study to really dive into that. And then I would also love to run studies on, and this is actually what the J Dr. Joe Dispenza community is doing. I would just donate the million dollars to Inner Science, the research fund actually that they're doing because they're doing all the studies I would want to do. They're basically studying when somebody goes into a deep meditation state and their brain goes into these super high gamma brainwave patterns and their hearts and crazy levels of coherence. They're studying the changes in the blood. They've applied that. Well, this is actually, you know what? I'm going to let people, I, I shouldn't share this is somebody, if you want to learn this, you got to go follow Dr. Joe Dispenza, get on their newsletter, and they'll show the details. It's not mine to share, but it is unbelievable what they're discovering with people in meditative experiences. The blood of advanced meditators, people who have gone through a week-long meditative experience, literally has unbelievable effects on cancer cells, on the ability of cells to be infected by viruses, and I'm talking really positive changes in both cases. So people got to check that out. That's the kind of research I think the world needs more of, for sure. Mm, beautiful and uh shout out to right optics as well i've i've got a couple of pairs of your glasses i'm not wearing them currently because it's light basically when i fall asleep right now <laughs> but when it gets when the winter comes back i'll be i'll be wearing them again okay last question what is your greatest aspiration for the impact that your work will have in the years and decades to come this is great uh my goal with my company is to twofold one is for me, it's a personal motive. It is to see what I'm capable of creating and see how much I can grow as a person and create something that really matters based on true principles, a moral, ethical company that does the right thing and see where that goes. So that's one. But as far as the impact in the world, what I would love to see, what I think would be cool to see, and I'm surrendered to whatever God and the universe you know, gives me. I would love to see that the focus on light, on light and light therapy products wakes enough people up or many people up to the idea or even just the possibility that the greatest light we can focus on is our inner light. I think that for me is the highest goal. So as, as we're a light and light therapy company and I've had, as I've described, I've gone through different challenges, dark nights of the soul, internal soul searching recollections and i've had to ask myself like okay i'm doing this what i'm doing selling products that help people's health and it's proven and it works and we know it works and we get such great feedback but something still didn't feel quite right for me especially as i learned more from a spiritual perspective that there's a deeper aspect to health and wellness which is what i'm so excited about and so glad we've spoken about today because i really think this will change more lives than practically anything else we could have spoken about but at the same time that uh how do i say this i felt like how do i bridge the gap between these products and this deeper understanding and what i what i came to believe as it was my own personal experience is that people aren't necessarily ready to just jump straight to 
spiritual practices and cultivating their inner light because most to most people it seems like woo woo and until they maybe have an experience with something that's based on energy and not just a supplement so we can full circle here and close off with the vitalist versus mechanistic view everybody's deeply rooted in the mechanistic viewpoint you say to somebody take this pill take the supplement you don't have to try very hard to sell a supplement or a pill or anything because if it makes sense to people they get it people have a reference for how that works but when you say wear a pair of glasses it's going to transform your sleep protect your eyes, help you feel better, you're gonna sleep better. The only reference people might have are sunglasses because they protect your eyes from intense sun, but the effects of blue light are at a subconscious level. So you don't feel, even when you feel blue light as intense, you might feel a little eye strain. As far as disrupting your hormones and your circadian rhythm, you don't necessarily feel that as consciously, right? As you do the, the sun being too bright and then you maybe wanna put on sunglasses, right? So if somebody, but then they, it's almost like, do you have to see to believe or not, right? Well, with this, since it's non-visual, you literally can't see it. So you'd have to feel it. And so if we can give people an experience with a product that is based on really solid science where they can have an experience that they would not have believed possible. And we had tons of reviews from Aura customers who said, I got these glasses as a gift. I did not think this was going to work, but I took them because they were free and oh my God, believe the hype, they live up to it. Like I didn't believe the hype, but they lived up. Unbelievable feedback we got. And all these reviews are on our website. People can read them. But uh, but anyway, these are on the sunset lenses. So people would have to go to any of our sunset products, the red lenses and read these reviews. But so if we could give people that experience, then I think you just, it, it's a, there's a, a switch that's flipped out from mechanism to vitalism. Somehow that happens where people are open to other ways mm. of thinking. And I think that in addition to giving people true scientifically based benefits with our products and the glasses are just the start of it. We're working on light therapy, general lighting, all kinds of really amazing stuff that people will be able to use, keep something in their pocket and transform their state with the device. There's really cool stuff coming, but that can lead to the, I think the change is that no matter how many, how great our light therapy and light products are, if, as I learned from my own experience, if we don't take the time to cultivate our inner light in whatever way that means for people, qigong, meditation, breath work, journaling, whatever, I don't think we're going to have the evolution that we could have as a species that we need to have as a world, given the, the thing, the way some things are going, I think we could do better. Um, so that's my biggest aspiration. And again, thank you for asking. Thank you for letting me share in detail, Johnny. I appreciate it. Mike Drop. Thank you so much, Matt. Yeah, I, I feel like it's, you ended with like the Trojan horse from like the mechanistic perspective to the vitalistic perspective. Well, thank you so much. This has been such a pleasure. Um, I've really, really enjoyed this. I'll include all the links to, to raw optics and everything uh, that you're up to in the show notes as well. Um, I believe there's also a discount code in there, in there somewhere too. Any final parting words? Oh, not particularly. I, I want to say it's funny. The first thing that comes to my mind is Jesus is King. I know that might sound like out of left field, uh, but uh, <laughs> I'm just going to put that out there because I think Jesus, I'll just say briefly, Jesus is, this is, would be one of the, like what I would call not half baked, but a theory that Jesus represents to me at this level that I'm in, like a peak of spiritual development. So as much as the world has a lot of, uh, let's say, challenges against uh, a lot of traditional religious beliefs, I actually think there's something really profound to be looked at if, if people get through all of the the biases that people have so i'm just gonna just leave that there and you can make of what they like beautiful well thank you so much we will wrap the show with that thank you so much this has been great god bless you brother take care all right much love i hope you enjoyed this conversation 
It would mean a lot to me if you could take a few seconds to open up your podcast app and give Curious Humans a shiny five-star rating. This not only helps more people to find it, but it will help me to get more awesome guests in the future. And if you're not already subscribed, then the Curious Humans newsletter is where I share monthly morsels of interestingness and podcast updates. You can sign up for that at johnny.life. That's J-O-N-N-Y dot life. Thanks for listening.